Hello, welcome to the Creatives with AI podcast. I'm your host, David, and this is a show where we share insights about the future of artificial intelligence and how it will affect the lives of people working in the creative industries. On today's show, we chat with John Caswell, founder and CEO of Group Partners, who's developed a unique system of structured visual thinking, and Nicole Yershon, founder and CEO of the NY Collective, who helps companies realize the value of both humans and tech. In today's show, we delve into how AI can be utilized as a creative tool that can transform and even replace certain aspects of work. We discuss AI's potential to revolutionize presentations and creative design, touch on the complexities of establishing an ethical framework for AI, and we contemplate the implications of tech developments like Apple's Vision Pro. John Caswell is recognized as an innovative thinker and leader in the field of business strategy and organizational development. He's the founder and CEO of Group Partners, a global strategy consultancy firm. His work primarily involves leveraging visual techniques and structured thinking to solve complex business problems. John spent decades advising top-tier organizations across various industries, helping them develop effective and relevant strategies in today's complex business environment. His unique, visually-driven methodology aims to disrupt traditional consulting paradigms and offers clients a fresh perspective on problem-solving and strategy development. Known for his unconventional approach, John frequently speaks at conferences and events on topics of strategy, innovation, and the future of business. Nicole Yershon is a renowned speaker, author, and consultant in the field of innovation. She's best known for her work at Ogilvy, a well-regarded advertising, marketing, and public relations agency, where she served as the director of innovative solutions for many years. She's an executor, a consultant, coach, speaker, a judge, a mentor, a super connector, and an Amazon number one best-selling author, as well as being one of the drum's 25 women who shaped the digital industry in the last 25 years, one of Wired Magazine's top 100 digital power brokers in Britain, and a Women in IT finalist. Nicole played a significant role in integrating digital and innovative practices into Ogilvy's operation, facilitating its transition into the 21st century. She's the author of Rough Diamond, Turning Disruption into Advantage in Business and in Life, a book that shares her experiences and insights into the world of corporate innovation and disruption. Since leaving Ogilvy, Nicole's continued her work in innovation, advising businesses on navigating the digital landscape and transforming their practices through her consulting firm, NY Collective. Links to John and Nicole's profiles and social media will be in the show notes on our website at creativeswith.ai. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this enlightening conversation with John and Nicole. Okay, well, welcome everybody to the podcast. Today we've got John Caswell and Nicole Yershon. Welcome to the podcast, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> It's so exciting. So good to be here. For those of you listening, we've just spent the past 15 minutes trying to work the tech <laughs> out. So we've had a good long conversation already, um, but but we will get straight on to topic. I've looked through both of your bios and John, you sent me some great information about the group and all sorts of stuff. And actually, there is so much information to go through. You guys have had such interesting careers sort of getting to this point. I wonder if maybe you could each take just a couple of minutes and kind of just give a little bit of background. We don't need the whole thing because that'll take up the whole time. <laughs> but sort of a, you know, a, maybe a one minute kind of summary of how you got here and, and kind of what you're doing at the moment. And I think that will just set a little bit of the context for the listeners so they kind of understand where you're coming from. Okay. Okay. Lady, ladies first. Ladies first. Okay, I was born. No, I'm <laughs> I guess I, I am a bit of a hybrid, as uh, Elon Musk would say, an expert generalist. My background is within marketing and advertising and being with kind of very big agencies um, and awarded a creative agencies like Goldwyn, Strutt and Simon's Palmer and pushing the boundaries at those two companies and then getting a brief from the chairman and CEO of Ogilvy in 2000 to bring them into the 21st century, so to move them from an analog world to a digital world, so business and digital transformation. That then put me on a, a road of obviously in the year 2000 and moving them from, from analog to digital, starting to understand this whole world erupting of gaming and mobile and social and AI and VR and big data and behavior change and 
and just starting to understand that there was this whole world out there and that we didn't know about or their staff of 2000 in London didn't know about. So I founded an innovation lab. And within the lab, we then started to really have a look at different um, revenue streams, business models, partnerships, relationships, and making something happen that had never been done before, 3D printing or working with these partners on on projects. I was there for 17 years, almost 17 years, and then set up my own company as a consulting company called the NY Collective or NYC. NY being me, Nicole Yershon. And for the last almost seven years, I've been working with clients specifically quite well with John if he's looking at the strategy, because after the strategy, what comes is they need to make something happen. And a lot of the time, an idea goes in the bottom drawer because no one knows how to make it happen. Whereas I have enough of a huge black book and a reputation to try something that's never been done before and, and always stay ahead of the curve and very curious. So kind of that's where I am right now. Brilliant. John? Hard to follow that, isn't it? <laughs> I, w- I remember being told by my, my stepfather and my mother never to enter the creative industries. My, fan, my big passions were rock music, art, creativity, you know, painting, drawing, being interested in the creative side of the industry. So they said, under no circumstances must you ever do that. So I went to art school and, and left home. <laughs> and Exactly as a child I, should do. Exactly. So I was a bit of a, rebel, a rebellious, not interested in authority figures particularly, and that's true today, I guess. So I was lucky. I was in Cambridge at the time when the microcomputer industry was being born. And friends of mine made a product which they got very lucky with and sold to the BBC, and it became the BBC Micro. And that was probably the most amazing opportunity of my life, um, still to this day, to see how technology works close up and how no matter how good the technology is, you need a lot more than that to be successful in business. You need luck, you need leadership, you need defensive strategies, you need brand, you know, you need all these things that I was able to really see up close and to cut a very long story short, when the company failed due to probably a story we might even get into in this discussion, but we got taken out by Apple. We got taken out by the the British press who said we'll never be successful at anything. And we were hugely successful. Interesting though, what happened was we were starting to make our own chips, rather like Apple has 40 years later. We made a we made our own chips. And we formed a company that was producing the chips, especially for us, which was called Advanced Risk Machines, ARM. And it was recently sold for $32 billion, I think, to SoftBank. Some, something then, like that. Yeah. And NVIDIA, a huge amount of money. Which, so it was a great privilege to witness this journey. And right up to date, having come to London, started my own agency, sold it to WPP, again, didn't realize how much that was going to compromise my ability to be a creative. <laughs> I had to leave that 21 years ago and create the business I'm in now to be a creative uh, because creativity was a, a label. Being a creative was a job in an ad agency. It wasn't being creative. That's where we are at today. So that's my short story. That's good. You've left a lot of room for me to ask some questions and to guide the conversation. So that's amazing. I should probably say to everybody who's listening as well, Both John and Nicole have the longest CVs ever, and there's so much information available on both of them. So if you just go to the website, which is creativeswith.ai, there will be a blog post that'll go along with this that'll have more show notes and links and bios and any of the information that you'll want to get on on Nicole and John. So we'll make all that available to everybody if you want to find that afterwards. So we, like I said, we can't touch on all of it. But if you want more information, you can go there. It's that you're uh, saying Nicole, that we're old, David. No. <laughs> no, I'm trying to make everybody understand how amazing it is to be able to talk oh, to you So, and, and how much wisdom you bring to the table. Also, um, Nicole has a book that we should probably mention as well called Rough Diamond, which I'm sure we'll get to in the conversation. You can find it on Amazon and all reputable platforms, I assume. And again, we'll put links and all that in there. So wanted to just get that out there at the beginning. As you guys know, and we've talked about 
you know, we, we sort of like to look at three main questions in, in these discussions, which is kind of, you know, how are you using AI today? Where do you think it's going to be and where is it going to go in the future? One of the things that struck me as I was looking through the information about you guys is, I'll start with John and group partners. You talked a little bit about starting your own thing. And, and what I found most interesting about that, maybe you can talk a little bit about this, but the work that you do with group partners is very A, creative, and B, to me, it feels like it's a very, it's one of those very specialized businesses and activities that probably will be fairly well protected from AI for quite some time. Where do you see maybe AI or how are you using AI today to support some of the activities that you do through group partners? Because I assume that you can't use AI to do what the the main thing is. And and I know I'm being slightly opaque here, but um, I'll let you explain it because you'll explain it better than me. But it's very visual based. And um, I think to do that requires a human. I don't think you could ever get an AI that would be able to do that. But maybe you can talk a little bit about, are you considering using AI or how are you using it today? Yeah, great question. So I wake up every day thinking, hoping that AI will replace me. I find that the, the kind of healthiest start point for a discussion like this. I used to think that it wouldn't because of exactly what you said, you know, that precision drawing, that creating live dynamic conversations with clients. I expect that to be replacing me in probably no more than two or three years. The technology probably already exists, but I wouldn't be able to get it in a flight case on an airplane. So I would have to rebuild that every time I went out to a client situation. So that's not going to happen for a bit. But to answer your question, I use AI probably every day. And I think probably increasingly in the way that a lot of people are starting to use it. And because we've done many hundreds of cases around the world with clients, we want to make the learning from that genericized, but hugely helpful to clients and make that available free. So that if I was a client in the future, I can ask it a question, which might be, I need to create a strategy for my firm with these characteristics, these criteria, these outcomes, these objectives, tell me the kinds of things I should be thinking about. I guarantee through something even like, you know, ChatGPT right now, a private version of that, scraping out all of the confidential information, that would be a hugely valuable tool. And people are probably doing that already. I just haven't come across anything in, in the genre that I happen to be in, but I expect that to be available pretty quickly. So why not me? I also have a particular use case for creativity. And maybe we'll come to this after you ask um, Nick a a similar question. But I like to understand these new technologies because guess what? My clients are asking me what it means to them every day of the week. So if I don't understand how to use it, I can't advise them properly. And they, they also think that it can't replace them in some cases. So disabusing them of that in a charming, in a charming way becomes part of the job. Um, and so, you know, we turn them on to some of the technologies that are available right now and pretty quickly that they, they come back to us and say, yeah, we better really think about this and weave it into what we're doing. I'll pause there and see whether that's at the right kind of level. I think that's good. Maybe if you give just a brief description of how the projects work. A great question. My business goes kind of like this. Client presents with a, with an exam question what we call the kind of provocation that they haven't managed to solve through a management consultancy or they haven't been able to articulate or they're presenting the symptoms of the problem rather than the problem. So armed with a few well-chosen questions, we get them to realize pretty quickly that they're not probably at the root cause of their challenge and they're dealing with the symptoms. Next, we would suggest to them, once we've won their confidence, that that kind of questioning would be well-placed to the entire enterprise and get everybody's fingerprints on any change program or future strategy. So we've designed assessments which allow us to gauge the current state and perspective and opinion of as many people as you want, thousands in some cases. And then we interpret the answers of those assessments. And then we through our configuration philosophy, if you will, we could turn that into the frameworks that we would use in a client case. 
all of that right now can be done by AI. And our application of that is being transferred as we speak into data structured in a way that it can be assessed by a, a generative AI query through something like ChatGPT. It would, of course, be a private ChatGPT or private GPT instance, but you get the point. The bit that we're probably unable to replace is where we get the team in the room as a result of all that context and replay that context to them through those structured frameworks so they're not starting from scratch. So they walk into a room where the t traditional workshop environment is ground zero. This is probably, to some degree, pre-argued pre without any bias or judgment or projection to the sort of context within which they're trying to have the debate in order to answer that exam question. The net result of this is almost immediate ownership by a leadership team of, the, of all the work that they've already strived to put together in a single coherent way, but very quickly allow them to get to the real conversations that need to be had. And I see AI being able to do a pretty damn good job using new screen technology or new output technology that could almost 3D print that picture that I would take three days to draw before they even walk into the room. I anticipate that to be a, a vision pretty soon, honestly, because strategy is about making the best possible choices that are interdependent choices to achieve the best outcome. Interesting. That's not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> um, what you're left with is a hundred foot rule that gets filled in, depending on the questions that John is asking, depending on the framework, depending what the problem is. In John's words, so they're not solving the the wrong problem really well. But what you're left with is lots of different people explaining something using the in English language, and what they see on the wall makes them think that's exactly what I meant to say because John has put it through his you know from where he's gone through his brain and his ears and what he's heard to the, his fingers and where he's drawn the whole framework, the structured visual thinking. It's quite incredible, actually. David, what were you going to say? I was surprised because I thought that you would very much come back and say that's the part of the process that AI can't do and that you, would, that you could use AI to, to help with the written part afterwards and bringing all of that together. I think what I didn't realize about your work process is that you gather the information in the beginning and then you do the diagram and then kind of bring everybody in afterwards. I thought that it was, I thought that you brought everybody in the room and maybe I got this from the story because um, you sent me the, the history of how you got where you are today. I think from that, I just assumed that it was like those, still like those very early days where you'd be in a meeting, everybody would be talking, you just sit and listen to them talk for a while and then start going up and drawing what they were <laughs> describing. So yes. that's my, that's my fault for maybe getting that no, wrong. No, no, you're, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Each, each different case is, is different in that sometimes it, we don't have a lot of time to have the kind of conversations we would like to have with the leadership team. So we've only got them for a day. So that means we'll bring more forward. But none of that is anything other than contextual. It's stuff they kind of already know. You know where you get an expert in to do a workshop and they're kind of learning on the job? They're, they're asking so many questions more for their benefit than for the benefit of the audience. We flip that round. Having been a client, I would be really pissed off if I had to spend the time training the facilitator about what he already ought to know before he walks in the room. I'm talking about that stuff. Yeah. So it's it's a subtle yeah. difference, but it's it's so difficult to explain this. So you ask you're asking great questions. Yep. Okay, good. So we I I think again, so that's interesting to to see how you're using it already and 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 how you think it's gonna go. Nicole, you do something, I think, very different. I think you're very much of a connector and you're bringing people and ideas together. Again, the same question to you. How, how are you using AI at the minute mm. and how, you know, how is it helping you do what you do? I'm not an avid user, say like John is, but there's been certain instances. So we were playing around with it. I'd, I'd created... Well, even going back as far as when I wrote my book in 2017, I actually spoke my book 
So we used a version of AI. It was an app called Day One, where you spoke into it and it understood what you were saying and then typed it. So, and then I needed to kind of go back in each time I'd, I'd talk to paragraphs, just make sure that the spelling was right. And then it would learn, you know, if I was talking about Dave Trot and they'd called it Save Trot. And once I'd made those changes once, it, it, it understood the changes and I was able to speak my book, uh, you know, 15, 16 chapters later and, and we'd finished it. So I was using it then and found it incredibly intuitive and useful um, to work, you know, like an assisted friend, if you like. So, and, and could see the enormity and the power of it. And then even recently, I um, created a semester of learning about the human being, a human as tech. So not even understanding all the technology that was out there, but understanding the human. And then did a, a year's kind of learning as to how technology and human um, balance together. So it's not a tipping point of too much tech or too much human. And we, when we came up with the verdict of, of what had been done throughout that year, which is very interesting, and I won't go into detail with it here, but rather than using a PowerPoint presentation or, or Canva or Beautiful or all of those other things, and John and I really started to play with how can we use um, Dali and Jasper? And I think this was even before Midjourney had even come out. This was last November to create a presentation that had been done once. Um, John, do you want to talk about the the prompt engineer style questions you were putting in at that phase last November? <laughs> yeah, it seems almost quaint to talk about it now because even prompt engineering is, is almost being replaced by a sort of auto prompt and natural language technology. Is improving on the on the interface, but learning how to get back to coherent instruction of a computer was fascinating. So, in order to get the kind of imagery that Nick needed per her talk, it couldn't just be the same. You know, it couldn't just be an abstract piece of art. It needed to make sense, and it needed to have stuff inside the imagery that was related to Nick's real world and what she was actually experiencing in these. Well, I often sometimes quite spiritual domains of uh, you know various treatments and ways of thinking as a we human. were talking about cyborgism we were talking about biohacking temescal sweat lodges mushrooms crystals all of those things needed to be brought into the visual which I imagine if you start putting all that into a prompt <laughs> you're going to get some pretty crazy stuff <laughs> pretty crazy stuff I remember the very first time I tried it that I'm never going to master this it took about an hour or two hours but then eventually I could get it down to two or three minutes yes. of just two or three trials. And pretty quickly, yeah, that was probably the baptism of fire that everybody's been through. So I won't talk too much about it. And there's, But it is a, incredibly powerful now to see Midjourney version five uh, and beyond starting to do some pretty incredible stuff, especially if you've got any experience of, let's leave the language as prompt engineering. So very, very powerful. I found it personally the same. You have to be very specific and you have to know what you want. And from a client perspective, it's very much like working with a designer. If I go to a designer and say, I want cover art for my podcast, and they say, well, what do you want? I can't just say, I don't know, because no. that's not helpful for anyone. So they're quite happy to produce something, but they need me to tell them, you know, it's like, what color do you want it to be? And I can't just say, well, I don't know. It's not helpful. And it's the same with any sort of an AI tool. Well, you have to tell it what you want it to do and you have to think about it. And it, it's it been really, it's been a good exercise for me kind of getting into having to specify that stuff. Because like you said, you know, when you start and you just say, I want a picture of an elephant wearing a, I don't know, Darth Vader outfit, then you get all sorts of things. And then you start to have to say, okay, well, I would like it in this particular style and I would like it to look like a Rankin photo. And I would like it to look like this and that. And the more detail, in a way, you can specify what it is, the better results you're going to get. But you have to learn how to talk to it to get out what you need. And talking to Midjourney is very different than talking to ChatGPT, which is very mm. different than talking to Bard. So they all have their own little proclivities and, and ways right. that you have to figure out how to talk to them and 
And that's why we think, I, I saw someone the other day, it was a cartoon and they were talking about, you know, they weren't going to hire a new copywriter because they were using chat GPT, but they were going to hire a, a prompt engineer instead. I was like, they're still hiring someone. They're just hiring a different you, yeah. someone. And what was amazing was that what came out of, of my year-long um, humanist tech semester of learning, if you like, has created something that whenever I show it to someone, they always say, oh my gosh, that's a book. You just created this most incredible book because it just looks so individual and unique and, and nothing you will ever see again. David, you remind me of why, one of the reasons why I had to leave the creative industries. I remember running oh, an no. ad. I, I had an ad agency. God. That's and terrible. I, for for many years, I worked in the you know ran my own marketing company, sold it to WP. I mentioned earlier. I was amazed at the number of times people would come in to me and say, "Can you just do me an ad?" And so this was almost at the beginning of me bringing back my framework thinking from my Acorn days into the agency industry. I'd say, "Why?" And they say, "Well, because you know we need to create more growth or more profitability or, or launch a product too." And I say, "Well." Okay, great. Who, who too? And they say, well, you know, audiences, all sorts of audiences. I said, can you be a little bit more specific? And I'd go through this whole series of questions and, and on one or two equations, one or two occasions, the, the client would say, can you just do me an ad? And I would put my head in my hands and say, I can't just do you an ad. And it's almost like the same, we're in the same situation again. If you cannot articulate a good brief. Yeah scope and frame what it is you want. You're going to have just the same challenge with t computers and technology, particularly AI at, at its current state. Do you think that it's actually going to be the other way around? If you're an agency and I come to you and say, do me an ad, and you say, great, I can make you 10,000 different versions of the same ad that will target every niche, every, every type of little market you know, crevice that you want to get into, and it will take 15 minutes and it will cost you, you know, the same as it would cost for us to do a, a traditional campaign. And then we can target that ad to those people extremely specifically. Like that's where I see AI is going to really change the game yeah. is that it, it is going to take that situation where somebody just says, well, I just want an ad. And those, the people that are using AI are just going to say, okay, that's fine. And they'll just go create hundreds of versions. There's a gentleman from an agency named Rob who I'm trying to get on and he does, he does a lot of video type work. And he's shown me some examples where they're doing that. And when somebody says they want an ad, he can create like 300 different ads with different looking people in it. So he can have men, women, different colors, different hair, different hair color, different style, different everything. And it's the same ad just with different people in it. And he can create that in like five minutes. Mm -hmm where he could never do that before. And so is that going to change? Do you think that's going to change the game entirely? Well, we were seeing that. I don't know whether, and John will also come at it from his point of view, but um, many years ago with digital content optimization. Dynamic. Dynamic, dynamic content optimization, DCO. And where it was exactly that same equation. I mean, I know someone who runs the company who delivers whatever, which way, how, why, thousands and thousands of pieces of content. So that for me doesn't feel very different, John. I, I'm, I'm going to completely agree with David and then come at it from a completely different perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm reading Mar Marina Hyde's book at the moment. You know, Marina Hyde, she writes a column for The Guardian. It's just stunning. And, right. and she, she said in reference to something, I can't remember exactly what, the advertising is like someone took a shit in my head <laughs> yeah and, okay and I it, can see to that. me it, it sums up the state of advertising today and i think you don't have to play this forward very much before you start to see the same old stuff and i think that the way that this wave will go if i had anything to do with it anyway would be that we have much more opportunity to get out of ads and into something a little bit more intellectual and hopefully more rewarding and creativity will have a real role to play in that. And I'd be interested to see how these types of new systems can retain a degree of creativity and sophistication without taking a shit in our brains. Because 
listening to anything and watching. I don't. We don't watch television, pay but not. I do listen to radio. Pay, pay not to, and that's a privileged position. I accept that. But honestly, there's got to be something better than the sort of crap we have to put up with every day. It's funny you say that. One of my thoughts about this, and and it bleeds over into social media. But one of my thoughts is is that I think that AI could ultimately be the death of social media, because yep. we're going to get to a point. I think where there's going to be so much doubt about anything that you see or read yeah. or hear that the whole idea of social media being people connecting to people is going to completely yeah. go out the window. Totally out the window. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're going to get to a situation. I think someone said 2024 is going to be the last election, real election that we're going to have because anything moving forward after that is you're not going to be able to trust anything you see, any videos that you see, anything that you hear, sound bites, any of that. You're just not going to be able to trust that it was actually the person. So unless you were there physically and saw them say yeah. it, and then even it's get, you know sketchy, it's you're not going to be able to trust it. Unless we can use the same systems to uh, mitigate that. Yeah. Or watermarks, maybe. I don't know. I mean, this is a really big debate. It's a whole other debate, isn't it? It's a whole other podcast in many ways. I think I completely agree with you. And I think, though, we have to hope that people, if they choose not to go on social media while that's happening, that'll certainly be me. I've already come off my social media already. So, yeah, but I get, I get the point. It's a real risk. You know, it's, it's a big, big challenge and a big issue. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think getting integrity, authority, trust, morality, ethics, and social standards back into these systems is also feasible. Yeah. So I don't know. So. Nicole, if you get out your crystal ball and you you look five or ten years in the future, where do you think we're going to be in in that time? I'll leave it as an open question. I won't, I won't put any conditions on it. Just where where do you think we're headed? Weirdly enough, I haven't worked in advertising for well, not with agencies, for instance, in the last six seven years since I I kind of left that world. I think. We had a, an event recently, um, and it was lovely to see you there. It was uh, the good, the bad, the ugly uh, with AI, and that's sorry, I talk too much. Well, <laughs> but that's because I am so conflicted on a daily basis from a note from Andresine Horowitz of "It's the savior and how incredible and lists everything down," which I agree with, and then there's. Um, Stephen Bartlett coming with an emergency episode with Mo Gowdat, who's ex-Google, saying, really, I'd put off having children. It's that bad and that catastrophic. And so at the moment, I, I would like the optimist in me, like when I was optimistic when, when the web first hit and social media first hit, and we were so excited about the good it would do for the world and connecting and knowledge share and change. Um, but obviously that didn't go so great. So I am still conflicted. The optimists in me like, would like to see that it, it's going to be amazing with health and education and all of those things. But I'm frightened as in watching the AI dilemma, which we should also put up, um, on, in your notes. I'll, I'll put a link to that for sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's also frightening that we haven't got any guardrails in place. So I can't, crystal built ball time or, or spotting trends time, I really can't call it. I know what I'd like to think, but I really don't know. It's interesting that you mentioned having children because one of the things everybody, a lot of people have been talking about in the press lately is obviously that we're getting declining birth rates in the West and that everybody's worried that, you know, we're not going to have enough people to support, you know, the people that are here now. And that sort of thing. And ironically, that's one area where AI might be able to help is if we do have these declining birth rates and if it continues to get even worse. I mean, I, I completely disagree with him about that. I, I don't think anyone, you know, we can't stop having children. Um, but I do think that in that environment where it's where we, you know, we do have these declining rates, I do think that's where there might be some, some light at the end of the tunnel for some businesses, which I find slightly ironic. But, um, but there we go. We're still going to need people to take care of us. And, and you know, we as a as a creative community tend to focus, I think, and over-rotate on this because a lot of the tech has never come for us before. And it's new. 
you know, no, none of the previous revolutions, they've all been around physical activity and moving people from doing really hard labor into making that labor easier. And we've replaced a lot of jobs, but those jobs have shifted into knowledge work and nothing's ever come from knowledge work before. And now Mm. it's, it's coming for us. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we're going to have to readjust our perceptions of what we do, but Mm. that's, again, that's an area where AI might be able to help. John, I'm interested in your thoughts on that as well. Sort of, you know, what it, how do you see it maybe playing out? People who listen to the podcast all the time will know when I bang on about this all the time is my biggest concern is, is that we'll use AI as an assistive tool now, but what that'll mean is we won't have to hire those five or six people that we would have hired because we had too much work on and that those people aren't going to get trained up and that 10 years from now, we're not going to have any experienced people because we didn't have to hire them in the first place because AI helped us. And then where are we going to be? But I don't know. Some people violently disagree with me about that and, and some people don't. So I'm interested to know what, what mm. you think. Yeah, I think it's it's the central question, isn't it? I think it goes back to the to the whole point about creativity. I mean, to me, creativity is problem solving, always has been. I made the big mistake of going into the creative industries because I thought it was creative and I had to come out of the creative industries because it's not creative. It's not solving problems in the way that I think creativity can solve problems. To me, I agree with you completely that it is a kind of sidekick thought partner. But if the application is that we are struggling as a society, then that's a business model for creative people. If the, the, the exam question is we're struggling in to, to maintain entertainment or sport or you know all the other industries that are likely beneficiaries of this stuff. Um, I, I have a few um, pet ones actually that I think emerge as a result of this in that you know the world will need much more people um, in the whole area of ethics, policy and regulation, for example. The world will need more data analysts to be able to feed and train the AIs. They'll need a lot more system support and dev. And even when you see people putting AI into their businesses, they're actually having to retrain people to keep the thing live and and pertinent. I don't think that's necessarily going to go away in the short term, perhaps over time. But it will also spawn, I think, a lot more stuff in the kind of areas of new technology creation, new product development, new industries around, for example, hospitality, leisure, free time, you know, basic income, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I'm very optimistic that once you apply real creativity, to answer your question, to creating revenue and businesses, that's where we will go. At the moment, the preoccupation is on the actual technology and less on the applications of that technology. And as we know, they said the same thing about this when the wheel came out, you know, that's going to kill all my horse or whatever it's going to kill. Yeah, they say it every time. They say (laughs) it every every single time. time. So I'm pretty optimistic. I'm going to dive into it, bring it on, because as a creative, I see it absolutely as a thought partner, sidekick, co-pilot, riffing. I've never published anything that I've used AI for. I've always had to read craft it. I'm sure everybody's been in the same situation, but it's just such a great, ingenuity finder, connection maker, the things you hadn't even thought about, that as a creative person, you continue to riff on. And if that increases my creativity, it's a tool like any other tool. So, And also when we're not looking at creative industries, if you like, as a term, it looks at makers as well. So uh, it's not just talking about blue collar workers or, or knowledge. It's, it's also looking at, at, at makers. And then obviously, you know, we brought up the topic um, the other day at that event, which was all about universal basic income and, and having different ways to make money, which is also another interesting uh, way to look at things. You know, when everyone was furloughed, I'm sure they were extremely creative because they were being paid to do something that wasn't necessarily their job in life. Yeah, I was excited to see that they're doing a UBI trial now in the UK. Mm, yeah. yeah. Which will be interesting to to see the results of. I I think from what I remember they've been broadly successful they have. where they've done trials yeah. in other places because people just took that as 
a little bit extra money that they could then use to pursue those things that they wouldn't normally be you know able to afford to do. So, right. and a lot yeah. of it is is creative in nature. It's music. It's it's art. It's those sorts of things that that people tend to go to. That yes, there will be tools that will create you know AI music and AI art and all those things. But it's kind of like digital photography. If you remember back in the day, you know there was much consternation in the photography business about did you use a digital camera or did you use film and for a long time we had the purists that were like no you know you can take my slide film from my dead cold fingers kind of thing <laughs> and they now all use digital yeah true. and you can't even hardly buy film anymore it's just it i don't think it's degraded the quality of the images that you get but it has fundamentally changed the way you create images i only mention it cuz cuz i'm quite a photography buff and I remember you used to have to really think about what you were doing before you did it because you had 24, 36 exposures on a roll of, sometimes even 12, on a roll of film. And you had to really think about what you were doing because you didn't want to waste it. Whereas now you can take 5,000 images, you can sift through them and pick the best four. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a completely different game. So you, you don't have to be as thoughtful. But again, it, at the end of the day, does it matter? I'm not sure it does. Uh, that's, that's a great example, David. I mean, that whole technology fueled a business like Instagram, which was an exponential industry you know, with very few people in it, but doing major things and allowed. And that Instagram, like TikTok, has spawned a whole lot of other industries because people have seen how they can make money out of becoming a singer or a, you know, a, a craft of some sort. So we don't know what this is going to do, but if you're a real creative, you will, uh, what's the phrase? Necessity is the mother of invention, right? So it, if lots of people are sitting around doing nothing, there'll be plenty of people out there being creative about what can we do with that talent. That's exciting for me. I was talking with a guy downstairs this morning. If you use AI to support you in your work, do you tell people that you've used it? Yeah, they source. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I do quite a lot of blogs and I always quote, Midjourney. If I've done an image with Midjourney, uh, I don't tend to write using AI. I, I don't tend to get, you know, ChatGPT to write a blog for me. But I'll definitely use it to research, you know, the fifteen types of language, you know, ideographic languages in Japan, for example. I wonder where you got that from. <laughs> I haven't published that blog yet, Nick. You're in a privileged position. Hello. It'll be out by the time this comes out, I'm sure. Nicole, what were you going to say? I saw you were answering as well. I am a big believer in authenticity and and to get trust. So I quite like the idea of of there being watermarks on on stuff that that um, you're using, so that you know that it's. I think one of the biggest problem with me with Twitter or anything like that is you just don't know if it's a human. It really what have you got to hide? Just just it, it should have been set up knowing that you can only set it up if you are a person. And I do, I feel the same about using AI. I mean, if, if, if it's not a person, just say it's not a person. Have that out there. Be honest about it. I, I was working on a social media platform or a Twitter clone. And the whole premise behind it was that it had to be verified accounts only. Yes. And it would cost a little bit more money on the front end to do the verification. But our idea was, is that you need it to be humans. Yeah. And the only like automatic feeds that you would have on the platform would be like news feeds. And those would be clearly identified. So if anything connected via an API or anything like that, then it would be clearly identified as that. So because we know that that's a necessary part of it. So we want those breaking news feeds and we want mm. the funny, humorous feeds. And, and there's some other things that I think everybody does want, but we just need to clearly, you know, do that. People will hide behind um, the trolls, for instance, if, if, People can't see that you're a proper person, then you then you won't be so um, honest in being a troll and being mean and nasty. If someone can actually push it back to, okay, that's that's Bob uh, at number nineteen um, down the road, and they won't be so open to to publishing the the vileness that is out there at the moment. That was our thought. That's literally what we thought. I think we missed the window. I think there was a window when Elon got involved in Twitter in the beginning, and there was much, much upheaval in the social media sort of market, particularly around Twitter and those sorts of platforms. And we saw a 
a proliferation of tools that came out. And we were very much trying to get in the mix, but through a couple of different things, personal reasons and whatever, we I think we missed the window. But shameless plug, if there's anybody out there that wants to uh, help support us and, and maybe uh, give us a little bit of funding to get that going, I'm sure we could do it again. But um, no, I, I thought it was interesting. And I, I thought the question about, do you tell people? And Nick, I remember at the at the Fearless event, we did talk about that. And one of the things that always strikes me about the watermark argument is that you know 100% as sure as somebody comes out and says, we have to watermark everything, that there will be a tool that will appear on the yeah. market within 24 hours that will remove the watermark. Yeah. Um, so I'm, it's, the new, it's the new arms race. It is. It is. And I'm not sh- I, I don't know how that would work. So yeah, it's and it's like the ethics question. You know, the ethics question always comes back to who's ethics. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. who gets to decide? And I think again, that was a topic that was raised and the East uh, at the West fearless event and the difference in in how you know we were in Japan recently. Oh my gosh, we just had this overwhelming feeling that the West have, have got it so wrong. It felt very yeah. It, that whole thing was about people feeling harmonious and respectful to each other and. Um, it just didn't doesn't feel like that. And I don't know where we lost that. I think we had that at some point, maybe. It feels like we've lost it over time. But again, getting back to the the sort of the the AI thing, I think you're right. You've got the sort of Far Eastern, you've got the Middle Eastern, you've got the liberal, the Western liberal European, and then you've got mm. the North American, and then you have sort of Southern Hemisphere, which which has their own set of of values and things as well, which I think is what's going to make it really difficult to decide on any ethical framework. Yeah. I saw Sam Altman talking when he was in London, and one of the things that he was talking about is, is more of a federated system where you might have a controller AI that would that you would talk to, and that would do the sort of that would do the ethical bits, and it would decide what it could show and what it wouldn't show, and it would define bias. And those sorts of things. And but what it would do, that would be its only function. And if you asked it to do math, for example, it would go away to Wolfram. Mm. It would get Wolfram to solve math problems. Or if you wanted to play chess, it would go to the chess API or whatever. I thought that was a really good example of how we might be able to address the ethical issue. Well, as long as it's not run by the advertising <laughs> industry. That's that's who I, was ruined social media with, with eyeballs and ads in front of people and 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 Paid for. Yeah, the ad tech industry has a lot to answer for. That's uh, <laughs> that's for sure. And I used to work in it. It was funny yeah. you mentioned the the targeting because back in the early 2000s, I worked for a company and we did behavioral targeting on websites. So we could actually change the content of the website in real time yeah. based on your behavior yeah. on the website. Yeah. So we didn't even have to know. We didn't have to set a cookie or know who you were before. We could literally just tell by what you were looking at and your behavior, mm. how to change that. That was way before its time. I'm sure you haven't missed the uh, announcement from Apple about the Apple Vision Pro. And if you even spend more than a minute on it, you realize the kind of sensor technology, the eyeball scanning, the control using gestures and pinches, and the, the fact that you can have a hundred foot screen to watch your movies on, you know, you think about that in relation to where I'm thinking optimistically about my business and seeing how AI can replace me. I can see how using that product, I could have a session with 20 or 30 leaders in their own home. I'm facilitating what appears on the screen that they're looking at and they can control their input and contribution in real time without ever getting on a, a jet plane, uh, without ever being out of the, the office, still in, like we're having this discussion now. If I could draw on the screens that we're sitting and looking at, yeah. I could have probably drawn quite a bit of this conversation right now. And it would be a, a perhaps a more interesting representation for some of the people in the room. And we'd have got your, twi- your Twitter replacement in there <laughs> and you'd have got yeah. investment. And shame you didn't mention that earlier, right? So I see that as being fascinating, a, f- a fascinating future for where some of these things are more likely to go over time. I was slightly underwhelmed by the app presentation, I have to say. And the only reason is because my son's been using a VR headset and playing and doing stuff like that for about four or five years already. And it, it, I get it. I, 
I completely understand Apple. I know you're a huge Apple fan and I am too. I use a lot of their I use a lot of their stuff. I, their computers are amazing. Uh the phones are good. But it just it it felt a little bit like, you know, sometimes Apple's criticized for being a bit late to the party and then they say, "Hey, we invented this thing." And it's like, "No, that thing's been around for ages." Like the phone turning into a clock. Like Android phones have been able to do that for years, but they make mm. it out like, "Oh my god, you can turn your phone sideways and it's like a it's like a bedside you know, clock for you. So I, I felt a little bit like that, but I'm interested, actually, you're, you're the first person I've heard who felt like they had a really good use case for it. Yeah. And I wonder is, is that, is it something specific about that particular product? Is it because I think because people can use their hands more to do it, right? Is it because you don't yeah, need you, the, you, you don't the controllers need... or? I, I've got to be careful because I haven't got my hands on one yet, but I will be a very early adopter um, as will all of us at Groupanas, because you're looking through the device at something that you can stage and introduce into the scene. Yeah. So you're not claustrophobically in that death valley of putting a headset on. You know, I've bought several headsets yeah. uh, and tried them on various occasions just to see how this technology's moved on. This is the first time I've seen something in frame that doesn't make me feel, well, I don't think it's going to make me feel like that. I can see people moving around in front of me. And that gives me much more of an emotional attachment to the fact that I can then introduce a response to their conversation into that scene. I, I don't know. I'm not, on, I'm not on any other platform. So maybe you can do things like that on other platforms. But I know Apple is going to make that, that leap. And it's early days, right? They always do this. I don't think they say they invented the the you know the lock on its side, but they certainly do a much better job of getting people's attraction for it. When I was running the innovation lab, and we had maybe for about fifteen years a physical space to test and learn, and we were testing learning everything from you know my, Apple hadn't even launched um, the iPhone yet, so we were uh, testing learning interactive floor projections and three D mapping projections on buildings and. What I always found amazing with Apple is that their first iteration was the Apple enthusiast. But X amount of years down the line, so if you like watch, for instance, what I use my watch for is something I would never have known I would use my watch for, and that is to tell me that I've slept well in a biohacking way. So it's not that I'm using the watch to, you know, to read emails or any of the things that early adopters were potentially using it for, but the iterations of it now mean that from uh, my point of view, I might have woken up at four o'clock in the morning for 10 minutes and thought I've had a terrible night's sleep. But actually, then you can see that you woke up and you're only awake for 10 minutes. But before my watch, it felt like I was awake for hours. So the things that I'm using Apple put up for now is not necessarily the first iteration of what it, it um, has, uh, was designed for. And that's where they the great use point. creativity to understand then biohacking. Yeah, that's a great point, yeah. The community around it of applications development is what interests me. So you put out a platform like Vision Pro and apply creativity to it. So I want to create that app inside Apple Vision Pro because it, whilst it won't replace the charm of me turning up and drawing on the wall, I'm joking, <laughs> it will create something very similar to it that I can scale and can do more of to help more clients develop better strategies, to be more creative, to solve problems, to create revenue, to keep more people in industry. And that's why creativity by the government's definition really pisses me off because they do not have what I do in their creative industries. You know, strategic thinking, creative thinking, critical thinking is not deemed as a creative industry by that definition. And whilst I don't care about that, I find that interesting that our kids are growing up thinking that creativity, like I started at the very beginning of this discussion, my parents telling me, don't go into the creative industries, you'll never make any money. It's just not true. You know, the, the definition of creativity is yeah. what we've been talking about on this call, I think, is finding opportunities to create value and impact for society in ways that we can't imagine today. I thought it was interesting as well that they put computer games, but they don't put software development, right. which I consider just creative. as creative. Yeah, totally. And, and I think it's an under, but again, I think this gets back to the core of what you're saying. It's how people think about creativity and the creative totally. 
process. And yeah. I think a lot of people also, I, I started to put, I've started to put a little blog post together around that defining, you know, what is, what is create, what are, what are the creative mm-hmm. industries and what is, you know, what is creativity? It kind of reminds me of the, the expression, I don't know if, you know, if you've ever been in sales meetings and sort of sales training and, you know, they talk about the fact that if you, you know, a lot of people have to get over, they have a perception of what a salesperson is and they think, oh, that's not me. Because they think of like, you know, it's always like used car salesman or, you know, an estate agent or something, really high pressure sales kind of thing. Mm. But the example that's always given is, you know, look at a five-year-old trying to convince their parents to get them a piece of candy or to get something in a store. (laughs) Like they are the best salespeople in the world. And, you know, we all have that in us somewhere. We just have to get it out. And it's the same. I think people either think of themselves as creative or they don't. And the people that don't, and this was me for a very long time, I just had convinced myself in my own head that I wasn't creative. Yeah. And so I never thought about it that way until I started. I got a bit older and I relaxed into myself a little bit. And then my wife plays guitar. So she, you know, she encouraged me to just pick up and just play around. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how to do music. And she's like, it doesn't matter. Just play with it. And then she got me in and started showing me how to play guitar. I'm terrible mm. at playing guitar, by the way. But I know the chords and I can play a few songs, you know, three or four chords and it's basic and that sort of thing. But that, there was a real shift, I think, internally in my own head about understanding that, well, mm. maybe I could do something that's a bit more creative. Yeah, and, for sure. And it's, yeah. it's opened up a lot of, a lot of areas. And, and so I do, I totally agree. And I think there's a lot of, I think there are a lot of jobs that are actually creative that aren't on the list. Totally. It's interesting. Yeah. Sorry. So go on, Nick. We need to Sorry. change the list. Yeah, the list needs to change. I think yeah. creativity is a fascinating piece of construct for for everybody. The whole point about, you know, creativity ends when you're 13. They tell you to throw all your crayons away and get serious like my parents did. And creativity to me now is a bit more around not only is the, the obvious problem solving, but two types of creativity. Does a blank sheet of paper scare you or inspire you? And Both. Exactly. <laughs> Both in equal measure. The right answer. Because if the if the blank sheet of paper and you have a theory for it, you, know, you come at it with humility rather than ego, you can start to populate a frame. So this goes back to the taking the brief thing back in the day. It's like, well, how do you construct something that's giving you the context, which is the word I use frequently, for the problem that needs to be solved. And immediately it becomes easier to solve it because you can invite others in, like, you know, chat GPT or uh, your friends down the road or the experts in the room and really get to think about things way outside of your comfort zone, ending up with a much better outcome that you would have done if you were literally a creative in an agency whose only task is to fill 30 seconds of celluloid or digital uh, time. You know, it's like, it's a completely alien world to me now, thinking about when I was running an agency and doing that work and feeling frustrated that I wasn't really able to be really creative. Because if I was, I'd have said to the client, paint your building pink. You know, right. it's, yep. it's just that. And, and we would never have had Fearless Girl in front of the stock exchange in New York. And it's just people thinking differently is... It's just such a beautiful thing. And we get told not to do that through our education system. And don't get me going about that. That's a separate Uh, podcast. We'll we'll go go down that road another day. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I totally agree with you. Do you think that part of the difference is, I know even uh, we're all of probably a, a similar age, I think, but certainly when I went to school, it was, you were never encouraged to fail. Failure was horrendous. It was bad. It was the worst thing that could happen. Whereas I think a lot of kids today, I know my son, he's doing his GCSEs right now and he's encouraged. There, there is a, there, there's more of an attitude of it's okay to fail. It's that sort of, you know, Silicon Valley type thing. It's fail fast, which I don't necessarily agree with either, but I do agree with the fact that it is okay to try things and it is okay to fail at them. And I, I I wonder if that's, that's probably helped a lot of people who have, Again, for me, you know, I was raised in, in that other environment and it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I'm like, it's, 
like I'm quite happy to try things, but it usually has an outside effect, outsized effect on me if it goes badly, but not so much anymore. I'm quite happy to do something. And if it doesn't work, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I don't know. Do you think, I mean, that must be important to, to people who are creative or who, who try to be creative because it doesn't all work and you have to be comfortable with it. I think, I think that's right. I think I have a slightly different piece of language around it, which is make smart mistakes. And for me, that's turned out to be preparation. And, you know, the reason why I put all that stuff on the wall before we go in a room with a client is these are all things you've said to us. And do they then add up when we get to the logic model, which comes out at the end of a workshop for me is, well, now you can see how all this stuff that we brought into the room is completely irrelevant and you need to change your mind because mindset shift is the only way you're going to make change and transformation and that new vision and that new strategy happen. But make smart mistakes. Do everything you can to be prepared for every eventuality or for things to go wrong. You know, drill yourself on some kind of construct, some kind of framework that allows you to make smarter and smarter mistakes. I like that. Yeah. Or as Naval Harari said, don't trust the parents. Don't trust the adults. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. fair enough. I still don't that's, trust adults. Maybe I'll be true. one someday. Nah, it's not, it's not <laughs> all it's cracked up to be, apparently. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. So I just wanted to touch on, on maybe one last thing, which is, and, and maybe if I could get both of you to think about this, why do you think now? I mean, machine learning has been around for quite a while. Some of these tools have, have been in existence for, for quite a long time, as in several years. Why do you think it's captured the imagination of people at this, at this moment? What a great question. Yeah. Um, Nick, do you want to go first? Or no, I? I mean, I can uh, tell you from my experience when the, the iPhone came out and the App Store and it gave people independence and freedom to mm. cut out the middleman and to try something themselves uh, that was easy and they didn't need a degree or, or felt frightened to do. Um, mm. And it made their lives easier. So... If we're looking at the App Store, I mean, how we got around Japan was Google Maps, Yelp, uh, City Mapper. Um, it, it it made our lives easier, and and the UX design within it made it easier. So that's why I think it it just when it came out, ChatGPT, the the UX within it just made it easy for everyone to get on board. I think um, it's the word you used earlier around the the. The fact that this has not been available or hasn't really tackled the knowledge worker. Mm. And I think the vast majority of people found this a really compelling way to be smarter, quicker, to do stuff that knowledge workers was this sort of domain that was separate from them. Now it's democratized the ability to be smart for an awful lot more people. So I think that's, that's played into it. I think, I think that progress is an interesting thing. I think. The, the whole idea that it's been accretive, this has been emerging for a long time. I think just enough of the consciousness has been pricked by this idea that computers can really help us and be, you know, help us to be smart. I think COVID probably gave people a lot of time to, to look back and think about different ways of thinking and working. And I think they had time in their lives to think, I can't carry on like this. I can't, I don't want to just be working in this environment where I go to work and do exactly the same thing as I did yesterday. And I think this, in a strange kind of way, whilst it's going to replace a lot of those road tasks, I think a lot of people are saying, good riddance, let, let the computers and the robots do that. So I think it's, it's, not a, it's a great question yeah. that I hadn't really thought about until just now. <laughs> Sorry, I surprised thanks, you with that thanks one. Thanks for that. Surprised you there at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm um, Thank you very much for your time today. I think that's a good place to to leave the conversation. Like I said to everybody before, um, you know, all the show notes and the transcript and and there'll be tons and tons of links and additional information available on the website that will come afterwards. Any parting thoughts from from either one of you, Nicole or John? Well, just thank I've... thank you very much for having us um and for, to be able to talk about something that's so relevant. No, likewise. Yeah, great, great conversation, David. Thank you. And um, sounds like there are a few more podcasts we should join in on. 
Well, I was I was just thinking that it, it feels like we need to have another conversation. This one went a little bit more down the creative side of the conversation, which actually I quite like and and enjoyed. And I think that uh, I think it's it's not something that I've had in other conversations. So I think that's going to be really interesting for everybody. And um, and yeah, I'm happy to have you back. I think education is a massive yeah, topic. Sure. And you know, talking mm-hmm. about I have some. I have some professors from Cambridge University that are coming on the podcast soon, and they're going to talk about using how to use AI tools and how they're already using that in an educational setting and how that's helping students already and it's helping them with their workload. So that could be really interesting. But yeah, you're more than welcome to come back on if you ever just want to come on and rant about AI. Uh, if something happens or there's anything that you want to talk about, the door's always open. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Brand. Thank you so much. Really. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, folks, that's a wrap on another amazing episode of Creatives with AI. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you want to stay up to date on how all things related to AI is impacting the creative industries, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. We're on them all. And follow us on social media. We're on mainly Twitter and LinkedIn, but we're the same handle everywhere, which is at Creatives with AI. We'd also really appreciate it if you could just take a minute to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those are our two main platforms, and it really helps other listeners find the show, and it also helps us get more popularity and more exposure. So it'd be amazing if you could help us with that. If you've got any questions, topic suggestions, guest recommendations, feel free to send us an email. The best email is hello at creativeswith.ai, or you can shoot us a message on social media. Either one is fine. We love hearing from all of you, and we can't wait to bring more exciting episodes in the future. And the best way we can do that is to get feedback from the audience and have the audience tell us who it is you'd like to hear from and what things you'd like us to ask and what topics you'd like us to talk about. So please use that. Let us know what you want to hear, and we'll do our best to get it for you. And last but not least, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Future Hand Limited, who make this podcast possible. Your support means the world to us. And we really appreciate it. So thanks very much. That's it for today. So until next time, take care, everybody, and stay curious.